So this is for my food science people on the back row. What is this stuff? Wheat, very good. What do you do with it? Mill it and make it into things. I just tried growing it in my backyard just because I was tired of mowing the grass. Well, you didn't have to mow the grass for like half the year, but then when you go to harvest it and hand thresh it, yeah, it wasn't really worth it. But it was an interesting experiment. So I've got to work on ways to make more of the grass disappear and become something else though. Because mowing all of the time is not nearly so much fun. Uh, let's see. What were we talking about last time? Job simplification of some kind? Does that sound how to simplify a, a task? Does that sound like we were talking about that on Wednesday? I think I was somewhere around this slide. If not, this is where I'm going to start anyway. We're trying to figure out how to make our lives easier, our employees' lives easier, more efficient, more effective, and always the thing we need to remember, create a situation that our company has a chance to be more profitable, right? Many of you did not say that you wanted to be a salesperson the last time I asked that question. When you look at a set of SOPs, a set of job instructions, and you try and figure out how to improve them, and you come up with a method you think is going to work. Now your task is, I figured out how to take a job that has consistently been occurring and taking about 45 minutes on repetition every time the person does it, and I got it down to 42 minutes. The person who's been doing it 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 minutes has been doing it that way for eight years. I'm new to the company, I was asked to look at the job, and I came up with what seems like a reasonable way to do that. Well, if I can do it shaving off those three minutes, I can do this same task across a 24-hour period one or two more times. That's going to become something of value. How do I convince the individual who's been doing it the way they have been trained and taught for the last eight years that they need to modify their behavior when you're the newcomer. How do you get them to understand that 
there really is an improvement, right? You have to become a salesperson. You have to have very good data to back yourself up to introduce this change. Because if this set of employees does not buy in and accept the changes you're proposing, you're not gonna get anywhere. That's your challenge, whether it's a lab technique, a person out on the production floor, someone working sanitation. There's SOPs and SSOPs all over your process facility. All of them need to be looked at. Many of them, based on changes in technology, techniques, ability to do lab analysis in a different way, have reason to be modified. Your challenge is to convince your employees that it's of value to them to do the modification. And that's not always as easy as it seems that it should be. Selling is hard. Getting them to engage and buy in is hard. You have to be able to tell exactly why you said it was going to be better. If the rationale is it decreases unit cost by three cents per unit, which, okay, you tell that to an employee. What does that mean to the employee? I decreased per unit cost by three cents. Well, what was the original unit cost? Well, it was $2.12 down to $2.09. Was that enough to make me change my behavior? But if it was from 30 cents down to 27 cents, is that enough to make me change my behavior? There's a big difference in that. So how you present the change, you've got to be really prepared for. TJ. If you can put it into bigger scale terms, the per month value, the per year value, if you're in a cheese facility and if you can shorten down the average time for turnover for a cheese vat per day by 10 minutes, when you get to total vats per year, you may be talking about a million bucks. But if all you say is we're gonna save 10 minutes, it's harder to sell, right? You have to be very prepared as to what that really might mean. Because if the company can realize an additional million dollars in revenue for a year, perhaps now you've created some incentive for the employee to buy in. Three cents, the heck is that, right? Be ready to figure out how that's gonna work. Demonstrate where the improvements lie. 
make comparisons because the cell is probably harder than coming up with the modified SLP to get the improvement. You can measure results in several ways. Time saved. If I can look at it, okay, if I do the same task day in and day out and it takes me 50 minutes and I can create to where that task only takes 45 minutes, I'm looking at five minutes, I'm looking at a 10% savings in time, okay? If you can couch it in those terms, it's gonna be easier to make that sell. Financial return, what's the change? What does it mean for the profit? What does it mean for savings? Hopefully, if you have savings, that increases profit. It should, but you have to have ways to measure it. And maybe, maybe it's more subtle. Maybe the improvement is in reduction in employee complaints about having to do a task. Maybe it isn't so much that you saved them a lot of time or there's a huge financial return, but they became more satisfied in being willing to do that task. That can be worth it, right? Because a satisfied employee is a lot easier to keep coming along with you. A disgruntled employee starts to slack off, does all sorts of other things along the way. So it could be not as easy to prove in dollars and cents, but still clearly of value to the company because you retain employees. They're more willing to continue working for you. Once you've figured all that out, you have to record your SOP. You figure it out, you cannot implement it right away. You still have to discuss with the larger impact in the company what might happen. If it's documented, you can use it for future. You can use it to train. You can show the company if I'm a multi-location company and I've come up with a change in the SOP from the standard that the company's using that realizes an 8% improvement on doing this task, is that transferable to the other locations within the company? That's why I have to have this conversation that demonstrates what's happening and move it on up the chain so that it will go out and become uniform across the company. How many of you have ever worked a task and then when you go on vacation, it appears that nothing gets done? Can you afford that to always be true? No. Most companies can't have a section of work, a section of tasks stop just because the person went on vacation for a week. Someone fills in, at least that's what we hope. How do they know what you were doing? 
Well, if they went under the method that they knew because they were vacation relief and they were trained 12 years ago, are they up to speed with what's current? Not unless you have clear documentation and updates of SOPs and training to make sure that those individuals also are up to speed. In some facilities, you're gonna have what's called a swing operator who gives breaks. That individual may actually know eight or nine jobs in a facility. They'll 20 minute break here, they'll 20 minute break there so that people can go off and yet process sequence continues. How do they keep track of all of that if you don't document? So we need to document so that the other people understand what our improvements are as a measure for performance, as a measure of improvement, as a measure for profit, time savings, whatever it happens to be. Record it, document it, so we know how much we can gain if we follow through. If we have all that down, we can build our schedule now around our time savings. We can use it as the benchmark for any other potential improvements. We can use it for looking at quality. What is ISO? Anybody ever hear of ISO? It's the International Standards Organization. They're a certification body. Your facility can receive an ISO 9000 or a 9001 or a 24000. There are different categories. If you hold that certification, everyone in the world knows you meet a certain set of process criteria. That's the beauty of ISO. If I hold an ISO 9000 and I'm in Brookings, South Dakota, an individual in Brussels, Belgium, who holds an ISO 9000 has to follow the same set of protocols to achieve that level of certification. Now we can move product around from a quality standpoint, from an understanding of what we're doing for SOPs. If I don't clearly record my improvement, now my ISO documents are not up to date. TJ. Uh, the, they generally, you just see, I mean, they'll paint it on the side of the building, ISO 9002. So you go, oh, that company has met that standard. It's sort of marketing, but it's an assurance level that I meet certain criteria, right? Another very definite reason you have to do it is to make sure your HACCP plans are up to date. Anytime you change an SSOP, an SOP or an SSOP, it can have implication. It can have implication. That doesn't say it absolutely does, but it could have an implication to your HACCP plan. So we need to make sure. I mean, all we were doing 
trying to improve how we wash the drain. Okay, but if we got a method that we can prove is more efficient, more effective, decrease microbial load, less environmental contamination, we can do the drain washing in two minutes less by 60 drains in our facility, you know, how many times a week we do it, that's gonna impact our, our HACCP plan. And then for sharing across corporate operations. Now sometimes things as subtle as this are subject to industrial espionage. How did they get more efficient? What are they doing different, right? So yes, you want it. Yes, you need it documented. But if that's your competitive advantage, are you wanting to have that shared? Not always. That was the end of that slide set. Oh, where's the thing I'm looking for? Little quote from Henry Ford. Time waste differs from material waste in that there can be no salvage. The easiest of all wastes and the hardest to correct is the waste of time. Because wasted time does not litter the floor like wasted material. Our goal, all the way back to when Henry Ford started assembly line making cars was to create a better use of time. Time in our process. I like that quote. I even keep that one on the wall. And I sit, find myself sitting there sort of staring at the ceiling and I go, yep, I'm wasting time, okay. <laughs> then refocus, because it's telling me that that's probably what I'm doing. But it's important to to know that that's not always to our benefit. Okay. I need to find another set of slides. Five. Okay, so we've simplified our tasks. We've got employees hired. They know what their job descriptions are. We've talked about how to keep them motivated. All very cross industry skills. No matter where you end up working, those are things you're gonna wanna do. These also continue down that vein. We're gonna talk about communication and then a specific form of communication, 
public relations. But starting first with a little bit of material about communications. So what is communications? It's giving and receiving information, verbal and nonverbal, gestures, talking, writing, whatever our method is to create some message to send. And our hope is that when it gets to the receiver, it's still the same message. Why wouldn't it be? Well, sometimes what you say and how you're acting while you say it are contradicting themselves. Now, how does the person interpret? Which part do they take into account to a greater extent? Giving and receiving information. How many of you talk with your hands? Yeah, I find that it's nearly impossible to not talk with my hands. I've tried it, leaving them sitting down, and I can't do it. It's just not possible. There's got to be ways to try and get things across. Communication is sending and receiving information. Whether that's from your phone by text to someone else's phone, by sitting across the table from them and staring at them, you're sending and receiving information, right? You're communicating in some fashion. Our goal is to improve how we send messages and how we retain the messages that we've received. In business, the supervisor or manager should always be both receiving information and sending out information. If information comes to you and you sit on it and you never share it with your employees below you, what do you think is going to happen? All sorts of things and none of them good. Got to have that two-way street. I actually had to go through the whole process of discipline and a work improvement plan and eventually letting a person go over the simple fact that they never took the information they had received and shared it on to the people who needed to do something with it. That was the one thing they didn't do, but it was a huge roadblock in the hole. They didn't really grasp the concept. They were doing their other tasks just fine, but they never continued to share information. No one else knew what was going on. Had to fix the communication chain. There has to be 
a flow of, of information, data, up and down the organizational When we go back to informal management structures, small companies, it's sometimes hard to know who you should be expecting to get communication from. Who should you be sharing that information with? Right? On your residence hall floor, you hear something. Okay, I got some information. Should I share it? Who should know about it? It's very informal, right? When should the CA know and when should the CA not know based on what was going on, right? But it's indefinite and loose. That creates challenges. If we don't know whether we should have heard the information or now that we're in possession of the information, how should we share it? Who should be getting this information from us? If that's not clear, we're gonna have an issue sooner than later. So that's, that's a big challenge when there's not a clear structure if the individual does not realize that they really are supposed to be communicating, their task is not just reviewing the numbers to make sure that all of the laboratory's results are correct. That's fine. But somebody else probably needs to know that they're all correct. And if they're not correct, what are we going to do about it? But if all that individual does is review and never pass it forward, we have a, a break in our communication chain. So realizing it is the responsibility to keep that chain going is important. Sometimes employees are more than happy to be blissfully ignorant. They don't want to know and that's okay. And there are times probably all of you go, I just, that's, I don't need to know that, right? You will probably recognize that there are things that you have heard that you didn't want to know about. But sometimes there are things that if you had heard them, would have been helpful for you to do your part of the whole set of tasks. If the employee does not recognize that they should be getting information, we've got a breakdown. We need to make sure there's that through communication. This is why right here, I have all of you take composition one and composition two and speech. 
and you're going, I don't learn anything in speech class. Yeah. You learned a little bit about how to prepare yourself enough to be super nervous and stand up there for three minutes and give your speech, right? Is that really communicating? Well, it was helping you begin to see the challenges, right? I know of individuals who I could point out who I know have an exceptionally clear picture and understanding of a concept. But I know that based on body language, their level of understanding. Do they ever actually tell you? Sometimes no. You've probably encountered the super silent person in your class who's probably the one who has the second highest grade in the class, but you never heard them talk in their life. They're really smart. Are they going to make a good supervisor? Not unless they learn how to share. We get beyond just one of those skill points. We have to be able to talk. We have to be able to listen. We need to be able to write coherently, read what someone else wrote and understand what it was. All of those things. If we're missing in any of those parts, we potentially have a communication breakdown. It's amazing how many people go, oh, why do I have to take comp? Because I need you to be able to read interpret and write about that because in any business situation, you'll get a data set, you read it, and you have to interpret it. You have to write about it coherently enough that somebody else, when they read your summary, will understand what was going on. I know it's not the same as reading a little literature article and whatever. I mean, the examples are different, but the concept needs to be carried through. And then you'll get the people that go, well, I know I'm right anyway. I don't care what all that information that they told me was. I'm going to ignore it. How does that go over? It might work for just a little while. Are you going to keep your employees working for you and with you? If they never are listened to, if they never... If you lose trust because you're ignoring people and what they're saying, what happens to that? TJ. In theory, it certainly could be. Yes. Often insubordination is more considered to be a verbal, but yeah, just purely ignoring them, I think you could interpret it. We're getting into the fuzziness of how people interact, right? But that's true. We, we've got to learn those nuances about, but it does no one benefit to simply ignore the attempt to have information going through. 
So the basics of communication. I hope you all have this part down. Oh, page up. Who is the message sender? If there's ever a question of who's actually sending the message, you've got a problem, right? What is the message? When you see those advertisements on the television and you're watching them and you're 25 seconds through and then all of a sudden it switches over and they're advertising what? Some cologne or something? You're like, why was driving around in the desert having any connection to that, right? What's the actual message? Those are tricky. They should be clear. Does it make any difference who you're talking to? If I was talking right now to a group of seven-year-olds, would I have any chance of them still being with me? Gone. I'm talking to a group of 21, 22-year-olds. I'm still marginally having a chance. Right? The audience makes a difference. You have to change the message to the audience or change the presentation so that the same message gets through based upon the audience. How do I choose to get that message across? Do I talk to them? Do I show a video clip? An audio recording? Get down there on the floor and play with them when they're three years old? That one's probably the best for three-year-olds. Does that work really well with 20-year-olds? Probably not. Might, you never know, right? But what is the medium that we're going to use to get that message across? And then, how do we have assurance the message ever got there? What's our system of checking in, getting feedback that the message was received? Because if we send a message towards an audience and we think it's there and we thought it was a great medium of sent it in, but in the end, there's zero comprehension on the other side because we never checked if they actually understood. Right? You have to have all of those parts in that communication or it doesn't work. How many of you consistently think about that when you're creating a message? Whether you're going to give a presentation to a class, you're dealing with somebody in a club, do you think that through? Or is it sort of on autopilot? It's sort of on autopilot. But every once in a while, we should go back and check and make sure that our autopilot is not in need of a little correction. Because autopilot is only good as the base program. And if the base program has a flaw, we need to go back and make sure that it's working. 
every individual you encounter in your facility, lab technician, milk receiver, process operator on a cheese deck, warehouse person, you need to be able to have some give and take, some message sent, some message received with that individual. And the audience changes. The basic message is probably still there. The medium for conversation with the warehouse technician might be quite different than the one you need for the lab tech, right? It's not a one size fits all. It becomes how talented you are at adjusting your communication. But without it, we're sunk. When we're communicating, we can sort of divide it up in different amounts of time. Several studies over the past few decades give you basically these same set of numbers. Writing, the average individual spends about 9% of their communication dedicated time writing something whether that's an email to someone, a white paper, a finished report to go to the next level supervisors, 9%. 30% of the time you're, you're, you're speaking. You're the deliverer of some information. 16%, you're using your eyes, you're reading someone else's writing. 45% of the time, we're using our auditory sensors. We're listening. 45% of the time, communication is spent at listening. How many of you consider yourself to be good listeners? So either we're all super listeners or somebody in here is lying, but I don't know which is which, right? But listening is important. And this is a continuation of the study. And this is the part that has always amazed me, but I know that it's totally true. You will walk out of here today, and an hour from now, if I ask you what we talked about, you cannot recover 50% of it. 50% of what you listened to is forgotten immediately goes in one ear, out the other, gone. That's the statistical norm. By the end of the semester, if I'm lucky, if I'm absolutely lucky, you might remember a quarter of what you listened and heard. Maybe. Maybe. By next year, I'm screwed. 5% of what you heard me, heard me say 
you will be able to recover by this time next year. We spend 45% of our time listening, and yet, within a year's time, we have no idea what any of that is. <laughs> so that's going to have to give us some messaging as we, how we approach our communication in business. Just having a conversation with somebody out on the production floor, you have that conversation, you go away and you go to talk to somebody else. 15 minutes from now when you come back to talk to them, how much of that do they remember? 50%. Is that enough details to get done what you wanted them to now know? Probably not. So we have to have some other things to help us with this communication. Because even though we claim to be good listeners, I mean, if we really, really are good listeners, we might be able to bump that up five or 10%. But if we don't have anything else to trigger our ability to remember, we're in trouble. On the other hand, if I look at it, what I saw, I will remember 87% of the time. What I listened to, I will forget 50% of it by the time the other person has walked away. That's a huge difference, right? This is why we do show and tell, right? At very minimum. Hearing, not so much. There's some connection, or olfactory. Certain smells will be triggers. But you'll also go, smelled that before. And then you'll just puzzle away for the next 10 minutes because you have no idea what it was because you can't remember the reference point. Touching, tasting. If you come across an individual who's visually impaired and you take this part out of the equation, how do you communicate with them? You need to figure that one out. They're going to be better at listening. They're going to be more conscious of aromas, tastes, and textures. But when you take away what is almost 90% of how we, in general, get our best information gathering for communication, that's huge. I take these off. You may as well be talking to a person who's essentially blind. There are shapes out there. There are no faces. Zero. So if I come out of the freezer and I take these off and you're talking to me, how much of the communication just vanished? I can't see you. 87% of it, right? Be conscious of those kinds of changes. 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. If I don't want to know you're here, I just take my glasses off because you just, there's sort of a blue spot and a gray spot and a sort of a stripy spot and a whole, but other than that, yeah, I got no idea. Any of the rest of you able to do that? You just take your glasses off and have people vanish? It's fun, isn't it? It's not fun? No. There are sometimes advantages to it though. So, all right, I'm gonna stop there for today. I'm hoping that my guest speaker and I figure out how to get the Zoom recording thing done for next Monday. If we don't, then he might end up on Wednesday and we might continue talking about communication on Monday. It all depends. I have 14 of 27 exams graded. So by Monday, I should have them done and posted. It's taking about 16 minutes per exam and finding, you know, what is about seven hours of time that doesn't have anything else going on just to grade exams is not that easy but they will get done. Have a good weekend.